And I said, mm. we don't, we know something's wrong. We don't know what, you know, could the doctor just call her back and say, Dorothy, you had some concerns. I was talking to some colleagues. Let's, there's some tests we could do. I mean, it could have been handled really easily. I see. But not. The nurse calls her the next day and says, your daughter and your family all think you have Alzheimer's <gasps> disease. Oh, my mom yes. went hysterical, locked herself in the bathroom. My dad, who could handle the worst storm ever, was like a, a, a rubber chicken sitting on the couch. He was just drained. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and energy. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our lovely music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who is a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her on judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He's anticipating his walk. So let's begin. Today, we're speaking with Lori LeBay, who is an international icon in the field of dementia. She's been recognized by Oprah as a health hero, AARP as a disruptor and inspiring leader, Maria Shriver as an architect of change, and by Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's. Welcome to the show, Lori. Well, thanks for having me on, Nicole. I'm just, I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. You got some uh, heavy hitters here endorsing you. Yeah, they just kind of came out of the blue, you know. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't chasing them at yeah. all, you know. It's just like, wow. Oh, that's a great way to uh, have it go, I think, is that people find you. Yeah, well, I think when you talk with an authentic heart, um, you know, people are just drawn to that because we don't we don't see or hear a lot of that nowadays. You know, everyone's, mm. you know, kind of you know, tr trying to meet everybody else's needs and, you know, not be judged and fit in with the crowd. And I just kind of say what it is, the good, the bad or the ugly, and always looking forward on how to how do we improve the situation mm -hmm. and then share share knowledge. Um, when I found that sweet spot, how do you get there? <laughs> you know, so yeah, so you're, it sounds like what you're saying, we'll get into this, is that this is a personal project for you and you're bringing your whole self, your whole experience to it. It's not just an academic project for you. Oh, definitely. Definitely you, very personal. You, this is not your original career. So why don't we start with um, asking what led you to devote yourself to helping those with dementia and their caregivers? Well, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years. 
And I can't tell you, you know, way back when she's been gone for five now, how many people said, you know, there's no way that's impossible. Nobody lives that long. <laughs> and we're hearing more and more nowadays that they're digging more, that people are living with it um, for a long period of time. My mom just happened to be ahead of the curve and very aware of what was going on. And, you know, the first 10 years she was told by the doctors it was her hormones and she she would say this ain't my girlfriend's hormones and i mean she knew she knew it was different and she was very open with my dad and myself about it and um you know didn't really want to share because she was still working and then got to the point where she just you know she retired she made it to retirement but it was a it was a struggle it was i mean here's my mom having to carry around a three ring binder back and forth to work on how to do her job in case she got stalled. She mm. could she could find her way through it. And so she had, you know, she did all these adaptive little things um, to still be able to to function and be part. So yeah, it was very personal. And so what were the early signs that your mom was developing Alzheimer's? Well, you know, some of the, the normal forgetfulness, but then it, it got into other things. Like we would go over to the house and you couldn't turn the TV channel. It had to stay on channel four. And we couldn't figure out why. And the you know guys were like, well, we want to watch a football game. And she's like, no, it had to stay on channel four all mm. the time. And what we figured out was that's how she was telling time of day. Ah. Because programming didn't change like it does today. So she could tell by the newscasters if it was morning, afternoon, evening, or bedtime. Was she and, able to articulate that, Lori? Did she say, this is the way I can tell time? No, no. You know, And we, we'd see her answer the phone maybe upside down or hear it ringing and sitting right next to it, not not knowing to pick it up or you know she threw like a, a tv dinner in the microwave and started a fire because she didn't take it out of the box um brain gaps yep stop being able to do um little mechanical things like how to use a vacuum or the dishwasher mm -hmm. the washer and dryer um, started to pull back she stopped driving at night which was she was very social and mm -hmm. so that was a big change um, and and then just started getting really quiet you know she wasn't participating in conversations and all those things I think were because she didn't want to make a mistake she didn't want other people to mm -hmm. think less of her mm -hmm. she didn't want to essentially embarrass herself yep or or anyone she's with Mm -hmm. mm. So was it somewhat of a relief when you had a name for these symptoms? Well, yeah and no. We went through a real horrible time getting the diagnosis. Um, and so and it's sad because a lot of the diagnosis process still hasn't changed that significantly. Mm -hmm. out there so my mom you know every christmas we would go shopping at the mall mm -hmm. and all the girls would go we'd buy all the gifts and my mom would kind of give us money for the kids and and she said you know you you i'll pay for it you get what they want from us and then you can wrap it and we'll show up <laughs> type thing and, <laughs> and this year she just sat in the mall and she wouldn't she wouldn't come in the stores and normally, I mean, you could blindfold my mom and give her a list and she'd come back with the stuff from her mall, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was really strange. And so my sister-in-laws and I knew something was up. We didn't know what. We were wondering, did she have a stroke? 
Um, I talked with my dad that evening when we got back home and he said, yeah, she was at the doctor two weeks ago for her physical, told him her memory was getting worse and he just kind of poo-pooed it and um, we need to call. And I said, well, go, you know, dad, give him a call. And he's like, I can't because she'll pick up the other line because that's when we had party lines in the house. And so he asked me to call. So I called, I explained to the nurse that my mom was just there. She was concerned about her memory. She thinks she has Alzheimer's, which was really weird 35 years ago to even use that word. I don't know where she even got that from. And, um, but she was always adamant that's what it was. And I, you know, the nurse is like, I can't talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, you can. You don't have to give me information. So don't be throwing HIPAA at me, but you can listen and you can take this down. Mm-hmm. And I said, we don't, we know something's wrong. We don't know what, you know, could the doctor just call her back and say, Dorothy, you had some concerns. I was talking to some colleagues. Let's, there's some tests we could do. I mean, it could have been handled really easily. I see. But not. The nurse calls her the next day and says, your daughter and your family all think you have Alzheimer's <gasps> disease. Oh, my goodness. mom went hysterical, locked herself in the bathroom. My dad, who could handle the worst storm ever, was like a, a, a rubber chicken sitting on the couch. He was just drained because oh. he called me in to help. It took us like two hours to get her out of the bathroom. She oh. was just devastated and crying and we could hear bottles rattling and she's you know pulling the toilet paper and just blowing her nose it was just it was horrific and then when she came out I said mom first of all I didn't say that you're the one that said that I said we called the doctor because we you know you were very different yesterday and we want to help you find out what's wrong and we don't know if it's Alzheimer's you know, but let's go in. And, you know, finally she agreed to to go in for an appointment. And I Mm. said, worst case it is, but then we've named it and we can do something. And maybe it's not, maybe it's something else. And we'll deal with with whatever that is, but we're here. Mm. And so then they they brought her in and all they did was the 10 question test. And she had a really good day. And she came out strutting like a peacock. And (laughs) we couldn't talk about it after that. And she said, I gave them a couple of colors. They didn't even know. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So she aced, what was it, like a mini mental status exam? Yeah. Who was the the president? Yeah, it was just, it wasn't, you know, we were expecting more of a test. And then, you know, later on, my dad got diagnosed with brain cancer, and she had definitely um, declined. And by this time, they were retired, and we thought, we've got to do some more thorough testing. So then we talked to the doctor and they did two half day testings, which were horribly stressful and humiliating to her because she couldn't do them. And then, you know, about a month later, we get this letter in the mail going, oh, she's got the mentality of a three-year-old. Don't let her out of your sight. That's how it was handled? That's how it was handled. Oh. And and again, it has changed, yeah. but n- not in all areas. Some people are still not getting diagnosed. They're getting misdiagnosed, and it is a tricky disease to diagnose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a it's there aren't supports. There's no there's no support for people. I mean, you don't. We didn't even get a number to the Alzheimer's Association. I mean, wow. nothing. Wow. You know, it's here's an appointment. Get your affairs in order. And, um, you know, we'll see you next time. Chingling. I mean, that's how you feel as a family member. Oh, my goodness. And a prescription. We got a prescription for Aricept, too. Mm-hmm. 
So how did your, um, how did you went from, I think, a real estate agent? Am I remembering that correctly? Yep. yep. And so tell me about, for you, how you started transitioning into being this international icon in this field. Well, it was actually... Um, Prior to real estate, I was in healthcare. I worked in the group group home industry with developmentally disabled. I got burnt out there. Got into real estate for who knows why. Just I'm a girl who follows my intuition. That's what I was told to do. Because uh, I grew up in a neighborhood nobody ever moved. I think we had two families move. You know, mm, in, in mm-hmm. the 18 years I, we lived in this neighborhood. Wow, wow. I had never been in an open house. And as soon as I got my license and started, I identified the senior market. Well, back then, people were like, what are you talking about senior market? I mean, it was just, it was <laughs> it was very backwards. So I really worked hard at helping seniors, their families, and professionals work together because the agents were always kind of looked at as the enemy. So I worked a lot with nursing homes. There weren't a ton of assisted livings back then. And- um, You're an innovator. Yeah. And so I it, and I did a lot of training and stuff regarding that in a lot mm-hmm. of educational programs for people trying to explain and taking the fear out of the move and the transition. And it was actually the senior community that encouraged me to get into this because they said, Lori, you are so filled with hope. And everyone else is just spewing, you know, doom and gloom. People need to hear that there's life with dementia and it can be okay. Mm -hmm. And so I honestly didn't know if they were tired of my talk about it or or if they really believed it. But I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try a blog. And then I was shocked when people around the world were like resonating with stories and stuff that I was Mm. writing. And then from there, um, you know, when I made the commitment to to switch, I said, I'm not going to work in a broken system. I'm not going to be like everybody else because it's not working. I I don't want to be another it out there. And so I I took an approach um, that was very different. And I I took all of my savings, my retirement, everything and, and committed to doing something different. Uh, which was a real scary step because I had just gotten divorced and stuff too. And it was like, okay, you're out on your own, baby. How old were you at this point? uh, Well, this was about 10 years ago. So I was 50, 50 50-ish. You are a courageous woman. How did you find the courage? Because this is for people who are listening, who are in this age range, in our age range, and saying, I know I am here to do something bigger and better and but it's scary how did you overcome that well it, you know it's alzheimer's kind of picked me uh, you know it's mm. i've always been a a person since i've been a little girl a kind of an underdog i've always fought for the underdog all of my life I, i've been big about ethics and fairness and it, it, that's just i don't know that's just kind of in me at, at my core soul and so there really wasn't an alternative. You know, if I felt so strongly about helping the next guy, then, then I, you know, you have to, you have to take the risk. So for people listening, I would say, you know, what brings you joy and what is pushing you that needs to be fixed? I mean, I, I truly believe we all have this power of one and that we are, much more influential and inspiring than we think we are because everybody's story is fascinating 
and and how they go through life you know what choices do you make and mm. you know it's hard and it's not like i haven't screamed at god and said throw me a nugget or i'm done <laughs> you, you know i am out of here um and then it's like ping something drops in my email uh, box or boom there's a check in the mail or yeah. you know but yeah it, or, or oprah's naming you as a health hero something it, like that yeah and, but it's it, it hasn't been without struggle and great sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it's still, I, I still have to balance that out because I'm not making the money I was. But I, but I also realized that I don't need all of those things that, that used to fill me. Now I have something else that, that fills me f- much fuller than material things or going, you know, to fancy places or whatever it might be. It's, it's, so I'm, I'm very different in that way. Um, but it feels good. It feels, it feels really, really good. You are the definition of a zestful ager. I love that (laughs) you're doing this magnificent project that's beneficial for others, which as we know, you know, is, is like the, the definition of aging well. And you, I mean, there's this parallel process of you're doing for others and you have done for yourself at the very same time you have chosen what matters to you. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the key questions that I learned to ask during this whole process is what's the lesson? So when, I felt really out of control, which was a lot of times dealing with my dad with brain cancer, my mom with dementia, you know, you're trying to get a business off the ground or even before I switched careers, raising a family, all of those things, you know, we all get overwhelmed and, and, um, or anyways, everyone I've ever met who's honest, says that they have those moments. <laughs> and so um, what I found was that when I would stop, spinning in minutiae of oh woe is me and I'm you know what am I going to do and how am I going to get everything done that needs to be done and you know plan a through h you know which I don't really need but I felt like I needed to have all those backups and stuff when I stopped and asked one simple question which was what's what's the lesson Mm -hmm. what the hell am I supposed to be learning from all of this Mm -hmm. and and if you truly believe as I do, that we are here to learn, then what I found, and and this was like just a slap in the face and going, oh, why didn't anyone teach me this in school? But when I stopped spinning and asked that question, what's the lesson? I realized I wasn't looking for the right answer. I was just being absorbed by the chaos. And I was spinning in that tornado and getting sucked down the drain. But when I asked the question, I was it it focused me on looking for an answer, and it was it would like always pop up, just bing, and it's like, how did I not see that before? This is a really cool thing, and maybe I couldn't fix it, but I could learn to adapt. I could learn to maybe avoid it next time, or or maybe I could, you know, maybe it's something I could get rid of, you know. But all of those things are lessons to be learned to not go down that drain hole. So you're talking about a little bit. I mean, some of in my psychotherapy practice, I'll talk to clients about creating a pause, and you know, the cliche of mindfulness now, but. That's a, a version of it where you're pausing and detaching for a moment, yep. detaching from the cyclone, I think you called it, of, okay, wait a minute, this isn't 
personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't about me failing at, you know, knowing how to do all all of all this stuff. Let me step back for a moment and say, pause, what can I learn? Is that is yep. that what you're describing? Very much so. And it also, during that process, taught me, you know, that I don't use the word failure anymore. I use the word progress because, yeah. and I don't use the word perfection because it only exists for a nanosecond and you can never totally replicate anything, I don't believe. You can get close and it can look similar, but the second you get compliant and think you got it figured out, something's going to happen and eventually it's going to change. So to keep your eye on the ball and just always, always have this sense of wanting to learn and asking people, is this still meeting your need? Do we need to change it up? And, and, And that way you're not offended when change comes like I thrive on change I love change Mm. um because I I believe change is is a good thing it's progressive and even when I've had to learn some nasty lessons you know along my life which everyone goes through Mm -hmm. um if I can if I can switch to an attitude of gratitude that Mm -hmm. I was now taught that lesson but then on top of it I have the ability to share that lesson not be shamed by it but, but share it with others so they don't feel so isolated and alone, like they're the only ones going through something. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts I've been able to bring to you know, the Alzheimer's and dementia world is raising everyone's voice. I don't care if it's a person with dementia, it's a family member, if it's a researcher, mm-hmm. it's a business mm-hmm. a author, singer, songwriter, advocate, it doesn't make any difference. Everybody has a voice and should be heard as long as it's done in a respectful fashion. And that's a pretty easy rule to hold to because people like to talk about what's important to them and and it empowers them to go, oh, I I am worthy. I, you know, I, I do matter. What I'm doing makes a difference. And it's like every single one of us makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about this idea of changing the orientation from crisis to comfort? What does that mean, Lori? Well, I think so many people in our family was in that route too. You know, you hear the the word Alzheimer's or dementia and you just, you panic. And you panic when you, and you don't even know it when all of a sudden you're a caregiver. Now, we don't panic when we become a parent, you know. Mm-hmm. We're excited about that new role. But we we really don't embrace, I think, the true totality of giving care. And I think the word caregiver has a negative connotation. It says, it says you're giving everything away. Ah. You're not being refilled. And so just changing our verbiage to care partner or care companion now puts you in a relationship-based um, mm-hmm. format that says, you know, whenever I give, I will always receive more. I mean, and anyone you ask who volunteers will tell you that, mm-hmm. but it, but it's one of those things that we don't consciously process. And so our expectation mm-hmm. of being able to receive from someone we're caring for that's ill, um, it kind of gets kicked to the curb. You're talking about transforming this into an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. 
Uh, the lessons, I mean, I can't even list the number of lessons and their life lessons, not just dementia lessons that my mom taught me. And I always thought I was a good person, but I think I'm a much better person. Am I perfect? Hell no. Will I ever be? Uh-uh. You know, um, I might have some good moments, you know, but I, again, I don't, I don't want to rate myself. Um, I have a signature story called Betty the Bald Chicken, which talks about choice. And, you know, it, it's about this chicken. I'll give you the short version, but it's about this chicken that lives on this farm and she's connected with family and community and everything is fun. And then all of a sudden she loses a feather and she doesn't know how it came out, but nobody notices. So she's not going to say anything. And then a little a few months later, she loses more feathers and she squawks out in pain and everybody looks at her and they're scared to death and they're pushing, pushing her away and they're pulling their kids away from her. And it's just, and there's this fear in their eyes and she feels this great shame. And so at that point, everyone, you know, doesn't want anything to do with her. So she goes out to the outskirts of the farm and she's crying and she's going, I'm a good person. What, what, I don't even know what's going on. Why, why does nobody want to be with me? Because isolation, when we are going through major change is really scary and a lot of people push away from us. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up tripping and falling off this cliff and I'm, another group living in this big ravine catch her and they nurse her back to health and ask her just to stay there and she decides to stay there because there's nothing up in the barnyard anymore and and then she ends up getting sick a few years later and the caring corral decides somebody has to go up to the barnyard to tell everybody that betty's dying this chicken and says, you know, you have one last choice. What is it going to be? Are you going to continue to pity her and push her away? Or are you going to reconnect and value all she's been in your life? And I think, you know, to me, you know, this came to me as a dream and I couldn't go back to sleep. But the the theme of the story that I, that I get from this is that we all have choices and we've all been Betty probably multiple times in our lives where we felt really awkward. We haven't fit in. We've been shunned. We have all walked away from somebody in need because we didn't have the time, the energy, or the desire to help. And we've all been part of the caring corral. And it doesn't make any difference who you've been in the past or who you are, even as you're listening to this. It's about who do you want to be in each and every moment given to you. You have a conscious choice to make. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make you a good or bad person. It just makes you who you are. But we always have an opportunity to change if we don't like being in that situation. Mm -hmm. I, it's so interesting. It's you're talking about so many different levels of things is, you know, about like what dementia looks like, how it affects the family, but how it affects the care partner and how it changes their life and in some ways enriches their lives yeah well yeah. and when we're you know one of the things too with with all that i you know teach and train on it's a lot of times we blame the disease if anything goes wrong it's the disease but if you mm. sit back if you take that pause you were talking about Hey, that person's always been like that. They've always done that. But now we, we're blaming it on the disease. And so we have to really set back. We also have to realize that as the disease progresses 
and in actually in everyday living too, over three quarters of our um, communication is nonverbal. And yet mm -hmm. our expectation for someone to speak in strung sentences together is, you know, it goes through the roof and they can't do it. And so then we, we're getting frustrated and they're picking up on our body language. Mm -hmm. And then they mimic our frustration back to us, but they can't tell us that. And we've all experienced that, you know, we might be at a party or in a meeting and everything's going real good. And then that one person walks in the door and everybody just gets on edge and no words have been spoken. Yes. But it, there's that anticipation of, oh my gosh, <laughs> we got to deal with this now. And there, you know, sometimes we as care partners or friends or family or even professionals walk in with that element of ickiness that is mm -hmm. red that we're trying to hide with our separate wife smile <laughs> going everything's uh. fine but but the rest of our body language is going hmm, not so much <laughs> uh, so yeah it's so interesting the theme of authenticity is really coming through here yep, yep. uh-huh what's a typical sort of day or days like for you Lori? i know you're in a lot of different things what what kinds of uh activities are you doing around uh dementia well i do a lot of things um virtually so i have a i have a radio show called alzheimer speaks where i interview people typically twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then um, I do a thing called dementia chance which is a video um, group of people with dementia and I facilitate a conversation we pick a topic and I do that about once a month now and we were doing it twice a month but uh, but it's so cool because all the people with dementia are becoming so active themselves and they're busy in lives. I facilitate um, memory cafes. I do a lot of um, mentorships. I do consulting. And then I speak and train around the country um, for, and people go, you know, who's your target? And from day one, it was kind of funny because like the National Speakers Association is like, you have to pick a lane. And I'm like, I can't because mm -hmm. we aren't going to fix this problem if we don't all talk. You know, we're, we're, it's, we're never going to make it better if we don't, if we're not inclusive because everybody impacts everyone else. Why is that so hard to figure out? You know, I mean, that's how my brain works. And so I talk with families. I talk with uh, maybe communities or clinics and hospitals, conferences, um, you name it. Um, the only thing I really haven't done too much of is like one-on-one -on -one coaching where I've had a lot of requests to do that, but I've always felt that I am drawn to a bigger platform, um, one that really just exposes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because if we don't do that, mm -hmm. we can't we can't authentically really fix it or make it better. And, and it's never going to be fixable per se, but we can make it better because every person living with this disease is different with it. Every care partner is different. Every environment is different. So what works one moment might not work another. And we have to get people to understand that's okay. That's okay. We we change moods all day long, and so do they. Mm -hmm. um, and their symptoms, they say um, so often, which I find fascinating, um, they talk about how um, 
you know, some categorize um, the symptoms one to three, one to four, one to seven. And they said, no matter what, what scale you're using, they, most of them will tell you, if you ask, they go through all stages every day, but they just don't tell people because they don't want to scare them. But, you know, you don't wake up in the morning and be tip top. Hey, this is the best <laughs> day ever all day long. You can be in the car and someone cuts you off, you know. So I think getting to the point of we are teaching people we are much more alike than different. And we can do that through so many different mediums, you know, through blogs, through audio, through video, through um, different types of writing, in, in-person training. Um, it, it's endless these days. Um, so you're, you're really distinguishing between, well, not distinguishing, but you're saying it's not us and them, that it's more of a spectrum that we're all on of humanity. Very much so. And, and like I said, these lessons that I've learned through this, I mean, they apply to my grandkids, my children, my friends, myself. I mean, it, it's about being kinder. It's about being less judgmental. It's about mm-hmm. slowing down our pace. I mean, really, what is the rush? What is the rush? And and I've been that person in line going, oh, my gosh, can't they count their money? What the heck? You know, and then it's like, it's okay to help somebody. It's acceptance. It's really acceptance of people who are not exactly what we maybe want or expect. Yep. Well, I was at the bank the other day, and this has nothing to do with dementia, but it's just kind of that judgment and that that drive to be fast and quick. And um, when I was at the bank, their computers were down, and it took forever to get. I had like three transactions, and they had to do it the old-fashioned way, and it was like 10 steps versus, you know, one quick one. And this woman three times came up, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done? I said, I said, ma'am, their computers are down. I said, I just brought mine in. Maybe it's my energy. And she's like, oh, don't give me that baloney. And she was just she was just so rude. And there were like 12 other people lined up, too. But it was this, you know, we have this urgency. We don't, you know, we kind of need to get back to the Andy Griffith show and a little more casual pace in Mayberry. life. Mayberry. Yeah. And connect with one another, maybe bring a pie to your neighbor. I mean, you know, we don't even know our neighbors anymore. So I I think it's really about getting to know not only a person with dementia, but ourselves and others supporting them in a real in a real fashion. You know, people think that people with dementia, even in earlier stages, aren't competent to have conversations or shouldn't be included, you know, or they might give the wrong answer. I mean, there's all these stigmas and stuff. And so, you know, with this, what I think people have to learn is how much they can teach us if we ask. I mean, they're living it. We think we know, they're living it. So let's stop peeking through the window and and get them engaged and have them help us help them and and the whole trajectory of how we deal and support this this disease we've done it for heart disease we've done it for cancer we've done it for hiv you know we've done it for so many things and you know here in the u.s we've got you know almost six million people that they know of you know with dementia but the the actual um, world statistic is much larger and people don't realize that 
you know, around the world, every three seconds, someone is being diagnosed Mm -hmm. and is, or I should say is developing this disease. Mm -hmm. And, and that number is huge. And, you know, there's a, a movement called Dementia Friends and Dementia Friendly Communities, which I was lucky enough to kick off the first one in the U.S. We, we have to work together. We have to share knowledge and we have to collaborate. Uh, and there's so many beautiful resources that are free to people um, that people don't even know about. And, and that's, that's my goal is to connect people and give them hope. And this inclusivity, you know, is like we're all part of this circle and everyone's invited. Well, exactly. And this isn't just families and medical professionals. This is restaurants and healthcare um, or or, uh, fitness centers and banks and grocery Mm -hmm. stores and gas stations. And apartment buildings. Exactly. This is everybody. And, And for businesses listening, you have employees struggling with this. You need to support them. Otherwise, they're going to be sidetracked and not be able to focus on their job as as good as you'd like and there like i said there's so many resources out there um you know it's just absolutely absolutely incredible so um you know i i like to help anybody in any fashion i can and um again raise all voices because i think there's so much that we can learn and so much that we can do together and once we're able to take that that fear away and, and realize two things, you know, we've been told dementia is not normal aging, but it is, as a society, a new normal we have to cope with. I see. And so for the people listening and they're starting to notice changes that look like dementia or someone that they love has gotten uh, a diagnosis, what's the first thing you would recommend Well, you know, it's always good to go to your doctor. There are tests that you can take on the internet, but I I wouldn't recommend that you do that. And if your doctor's not getting you the answers, you know, go in there and be prepared to ask for a referral uh, to a neurologist who specializes in dementia. Um, and, And so that you can dig deeper. The sooner you can find out, the better off you'll be in terms of how to deal with this, how to how to get your ducks in a row, how to learn to get connected socially. You know, memory cafes are, are a wonderful source mm-hmm. um, for people. And we now have um, 700, uh, over 700 of them in the U.S., which They're just... cropping up all over. I know. And it's, you know, I remember bringing the first one over years ago, and it was just a battle because it was a different kind of support concept. Mm-hmm. And so if there's, you go to memorycafedirectory.com and there you'll be able to find what states and in what cities um, have memory cafes, or if you're listening and you have one and you wanna register it, um, mm-hmm. Dave will register that for you for free. And he's now doing um, international um, memory cafes. He's loading those listings up as well. So there'll be one spot people can go to. Um, but this is, uh, it's it's like a bowling league or a bridge club. You don't show up for the equipment, you show up for the camaraderie. <laughs> You know, and, and the other thing is so often people worry about what do I do? What, what do I say to somebody with dementia? Well, what do you say to your friends? 
You know, mm. you don't walk in with an agenda. You just have an authentic conversation. And that's what these groups are. And they have such intimate, strong um, conversations and and relationships almost immediately because they just cut to the chase. Mm. And they're not afraid. They don't have to be afraid to show what their life looks like now. It's mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful thing to be part of and uh-huh. to see. I've noticed a lot of uh, places in Europe have really gotten on this bandwagon of memory cafes. Are they a little ahead of us? Oh, my God. This? Leaps and bounds. <laughs> what Mem- is that? Memory what? cafes, yeah. dementia-friendly um, communities, yeah. you know, uh, over in Scotland and Australia. Yes. And you can, yeah, they're just... Those are my listeners. They're in Australia listening to this. Oh, my gosh. They are unbelievable. And New Zealand as well. And they they give information so graciously. And, you know, when I go to speak, I was just putting a PowerPoint presentation together. Um, and I always highlight, you know, different, different things because um, people are shocked at what is happening because we've been fed in the U.S. that we are the leaders and we are so far behind. And mm-hmm. like with the Memory Cafe, when I heard about those through somebody living with dementia, Norms McNamara, um, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's, he hooked me up with David Light and David Light, they rewrote their documents. They took their S's out and put our Z's back in and um, changed some of the verbiage, you know, so it would be U.S. friendly and didn't charge a penny. And they just, you know, said, build them and they will come. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to even get them off the ground here because we are not collaborative. We think we are, but we really aren't very collaborative and i remember talking with um mark wartman with the um uh, alzheimer's disease international and i said oh gosh mark i think i'm gonna have to move because <laughs> they just don't get it here and he's like what do you mean and i'm like i can't get people to collaborate it is it's just such a fight you know when mm-hmm. i first stepped into this space it was just you know i was really an odd duck and um and he just started giggling and I'm like, Mark, this isn't funny. I'm serious. And he's mm-hmm. like, you you really don't understand why? And I'm like, well, no. And he said, Lori, you guys left here to go find a world and build on independence. We have always mm-hmm. been for the social good. And so ah. they have they have government financing. They have prime ministers behind this stuff. I mean, they mm-hmm. I work on an international level with different groups as well and it's unbelievable the difference between yeah. here and there and yet they they're like Lori, we still have our problems too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know? canada is like that too yep very very collaborative and i partner with the international federation of aging and it has a very different feel mm-hmm. yep and, and it's just it's so nice it's just so wonderful to see one of the things when i started i thought that i would um you know, build these platforms and instead of everyone trying to recreate their own, do like sponsorships. But I've had a really hard time getting people to buy into that. And so then they start something, but then there's turnover and then it it kind of dies off and stuff. And it's like, we could do so much more and so much better if we work together. Mm -hmm. Well, that is for sure. So um, 
I'd like to uh, have people find you. Your website is amazing. There's so much stuff going on. <laughs> um, interviews and links and all kinds of resources. Where's the best place for people to find you? My main website is alzheimerspeaks.com. And from okay. there, they can get to the radio. They can get to the blog. In fact, if they go to the blog, um, I've listed the, the blog I just posted was about um, World Alzheimer's Day. And I list a ton of different resources. You can get the, the world report from there, plus wow. a lot of free um, and great services um, are listed on that. And, um, and then if you go to our initiatives and projects tab, you'll learn more about the Purple Angel, which again is a, something that started by Norms McNamara living with dementia over in the UK. Mm. Um, is just a symbol saying we, we are all together. It's not Alzheimer's. It's not Louis bodies. It's, it's just dementia. And, um, we can, you know, we can, do better together and it's a symbol that just gets people asking a simple question what is that and then mm -hmm. it opens the door for for a conversation about dementia mm -hmm. and so people can use that on their checks if anybody uses those anymore mm -hmm. i actually put it on my mom's obituary um uh -huh. you know you can um you can use it on marketing materials you just can't make money sell coffee mugs and things like that um, unless the funds are going back into supporting dementia you know 100 percent and and so there's there's um, things on the the um, memory cafes there becoming dementia friendly i've got a bunch of short videos um and kind of a history of the first one that was kicked off in watertown wisconsin and um there's just lots of different things lots lots of, of lots of goodness and when is world dementia day that was actually saturday oh Wor world saturday. world alzheimer's day alzheimer's, yeah. yeah yeah and so um yeah it was a great day and lots of things are, are happening with that and there are music festivals that are happening you know throughout this month um there there's just it's absolutely endless mm -hmm. oh my goodness well i so appreciate you taking time out of your schedule you are one busy woman <laughs> and uh and i i just love what you're doing and you're giving it just your whole heart and your you know your whole life to this and and i'm so glad that you've been recognized for it well, thank you, Nicole, and thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. I, I love, you know, your title, Zestful Aging. <laughs> I just think, you know, we aren't our, our, you know, I think of my grandma, you know, with her apron on and just kind of that homebody. And I look at what, I, I'm a grandma now, you know, and it's like, you know, I, it's just a life has changed and mm -hmm. it can be full until the day we die. Absolutely. I mean, that is the message here. Well, thank you so much and continued good luck with all of the work that you're doing. Well, thank you again, Nicole. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. 
But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.